Psalm 119, and we're going to look at verses 111 and 112. 119, 111, 112. Let me get there myself. As you're turning there, I'm wondering how many of you remember a guy called David Livingston? Anybody remember him? Yes? Tell me something about David Livingston. Anybody? Shout it out. He explored Africa. Absolutely he did. Um, would most school children know his name? Probably, if they knew anything about world history. Um, what about his brother? Anybody know anything about his brother? His brother's name, uh, by the way, was, um, let me get it in front of me, uh, was John. Does anybody know anything about John Livingston? They were both raised uh, about 200 years ago in Scotland. Uh, John wanted to be a, um, a businessman. In fact, he set his mind on making money. That was his goal. That was what he wanted to do with his life. And David, on the other hand, uh, said, well, I don't know. And here's this quote. I will place no value on anything I have or anything I possess unless it is in relationship to the kingdom of God. And on his own burial place in Westminster Abbey, I've stood and looked at it. Here's what it says on his, on his, uh, uh, his, his burial place. It says, for 30 years, his life was spent in an unwearied effort to evangelize. His brother, he died. If you look up John Livingston in an encyclopedia, you know what you're gonna see? The brother of David Livingston. I offer that as an introduction to our topic today, because our topic right out of our rooted study is on the whole issue of leaving a, a, a legacy or leaving a, a heritage, providing for the, the generation that comes after us some things that really matter. And lest you think I'm talking about money, I am not. The, the illustration of David and John Livingston Kind of, kind of paint the picture for what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about how God's word changes our lives, and when he does so, it changes our perspective, even to the point of what kind of a legacy we want, we want to leave. So let me read you uh, Psalm 119, verses 111 and 112. He says this, Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. When I was reading that this summer and I came across this section, I, 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 I thought that it just spoke to this issue of heritage and legacy. Your statues are my heritage forever. When, when you pass, and none of us like to think about that, the older we get, perhaps we think about it a little bit more. But what is it that you want to be said about your life? Do you want to be the brother of somebody or the sister of somebody? Or do you want there to be something written or spoken that suggests the value of the kind of life you lived? Now, before we start into that, I want to, I want to set a perspective. Because when talking about legacy, it, it quickly degenerates down into who am I, 
what are my achievements, what have I accomplished, and who's going to know about it. And that's not what I'm really talking about. So let's talk about the legacy from a, from a godly perspective. And, and I want to direct your attention to a, a Casting Crown song. If you don't know this song, on your way home, download it and listen to it. It's called Only Jesus. You know this one? A number of you are nodding your head. Let me, let me read some of the words to you. Make it count. Leave a mark. Build a name for yourself. Dream your dreams. Chase your heart. Above all else, make a name that the world remembers. But all an empty word can sell is empty dreams. I got lost in the light. When it was up to me to make a name, the world remembers. But Jesus is the only name to remember. He says, and I don't want to leave a legacy, that kind of a legacy. I don't care if they remember me, only Jesus. And I, I've got one life to live. I'll let every second point to him, only Jesus. So before we start talking about the specifics of leaving a legacy, I wanted you to, to think a little bit about humility. What do what what some of the writers uh, in our Bible have to say about humility? I, I just glanced at two of them that came from Paul, one in Ephesians and one in 1 Timothy. In Ephesians 3.8, he says, I am the least of all the saints. Now, when you think of the, of the epistles that Paul wrote in our New Testament, do you think of him as the least? Probably not, but he did. In his mind, in reference to the only Jesus perspective, he saw himself as the least of all saints. And then in 1 Timothy 1, he called himself the chief of all sinners. Really? But in his mind, relevant to, relative to the character of Christ, he saw how far he fell short. There was great humility in his mindset. What about John? John's writing in John chapter 15 and verse number 5, he says this, Apart from you, Jesus, I can do, what does the next word say? Nothing. About the time you're, you're feeling really good, re re review that verse. No talent, no ability, no gift, no thing you got going, no position, no, no, no uh, attention. Because without him, we can do nothing. And then a verse I wanted to use as a kind of introduction to this thought is out of Romans chapter 12. Look at verses 3 and 4. I captured just a little bit of it. It says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Ugh, okay. Not liking that so far. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Sober judgment in the measure of faith. The, the, the measure of faith, the spiritual legacy that I'm going to talk about today is not about talents. It's not about, it's not about achievements. It's not about abilities. She was the president of this club. She was the president of that club. She raised 14 kids. She raised so much money for this nonprofit. She was really involved at Stony Brook, all of which is good stuff, especially that part about being involved at Stony Brook. <laughs> it isn't, however, the best stuff. Because we need to remember that 
it, it, it's the touch of the Lord that makes the difference in our lives. It's the measure of faith. It's why you were the president of such and such a club. It's what motivated you to be at Stony Brook and help out with the kids. It's the, it's the thought behind the financial gifts that you left. If it was for the purpose of bringing attention to, whoo, aren't I something, then, then you ought to think more soberly of yourself. But if it's from the perspective of, well, the Lord gave me an opportunity, I put my shoulder to the wheel and I, and I tried to be a help, great. Because now it's according to the measure of faith. A spiritual legacy is what I want to talk about today. All of the things that God has allowed us to experience. Um, we, were, we were talking, uh, Marcia and I, about this house to home thing. And, and at one point I was thanking her for being so involved and blah, 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 blah. And she said, you know, it just came along at the right time in my life. It's almost like God said, whoop, here, this is for you right now. See, that's the measure of faith. The spiritual legacy is when that thing shows up on your doorstep, you don't kick it to the side, you pick it up and go, okay. Gee, my family's supposed to go around the world for five months every other year? Okay. It's the okay. It's not the, oh, could you please glance and look over here at me? It's a measure of faith based on what God brings into our life. One writer put it this way. He says, the legacy you leave is the life you lead. It has nothing to do with how many people, how much money, how many organizations, how many things you do. If you're the parent of one child and that one child grows up and honors God with their life and has another one child, we've got multiplication going on here. It's, an, it's not an issue of how many hours are spent or how many organizations are blessed. The issue is what's the life that's being lived and that will be remembered. So I want to take you to a place in the Bible that, that will stir, I, I think, our thinking. I want you to go to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. The Lord's all about memorials. He's all about putting up things, usually stones, to remember something really important, to cause attention to something. I put in your notes a number of these stone monuments that are used in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 28, it was to mark God's covenant, the beginning of his covenant. And he, and he, and he said, put some stones here so you'll remember that we had this chat it also shows up in, in uh, Genesis 31, same way, marking the covenant, only this time it's, um, it's uh, uh, the covenant that, that uh, Jacob's going to have with his father-in-law, Laban. And he says, I want to remember that you and I have had this covenant. It's not between him and God, it's between him and another person. When, when Achan in Joshua chapter 7 does wrong and cheats, and great things, bad things happened to the children of Israel. They put up a stone monument marking the death of Achan so that they wouldn't forget, don't do that. So sometimes it was a positive thing, remember this, do this. Sometimes it was a negative thing, hey, remember that bad thing, don't do that again. In chapter 24, again, confirming the covenant of, of Israel as they moved into the promised land. Well, the, the one I want to talk about happens in Joshua chapter 4. 
And I, I don't want to read the whole story to you, but I want to read a portion of it so you can see how important it is. They're, they're crossing over the Jordan, verse 1 says. And the Lord says to Joshua, I want you to choose 12 men from among the people, one from each one of the tribes. And I want you to tell them to take up uh, uh, 12 stones, one each, uh, from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and you carry them over with you and you put them down at the place where I'll tell you tonight. So the children of Israel are crossing the, the Jordan River, moving into the Promised Land. God's fulfilling His promise to His people. And all of those million-plus people are stomping across the, the, the River Jordan. And, and the priests are standing in the middle of the, of the river. The waters have been parted, and they're going over. And God says to Joshua, wait a minute, we need to remember this moment. So right there in the middle of the River Jordan, I want each guy get himself a good boulder. Not a little rock, a big boulder. And carry it out with you. And when we get together tonight, I'm going to tell you what to do with them. And they do that. Each one of the guys grab the big boulder. Keep going. So in verse number four, he called together the 12 men that he had appointed and he told them, hey, you go over before the ark and into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone up on his shoulder and it's going to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, I'm in verse number, is that six? Verse six, what do these stones mean? You tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan, or when the, yes, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever, forever. Now those, those rocks were piled up and anyone that ever traveled in that area, they knew the story behind the rocks. This is the place where da 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 happened. This is what God did for us at this point. This is what our faith and trust, the measure of faith that we brought to the table because God had been so gracious to us. This is a memorial to what God's done in our life. That's the idea behind a legacy. Leaving a heritage to the next generations is, is in essence getting a bunch of rocks and piling them up so that when your children ask, you should underline that in your Bible. What do these stones mean? When your children ask you, what do these stones mean? There's an answer. When they pick up a picture and here's grandma. Well, what was grandma doing in this picture? Well, she's carrying furniture into a young woman's house who had a bunch of addictions in her life and needed to start over. And so she gathered a bunch of furniture and she carried it in to bless that young lady. That's a legacy. What do these stones mean? What, what does this thing, and I'm going to talk about all kinds of things that can trigger this. What does it mean? In the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, let's look at a verse there. And I want you to see another way that these memorials can be effective. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, if you're sitting there saying, Sherry, I'm not in the mood to talk about dying. I get it. But I hate to tell you, it's going to happen. Unless the Lord brings himself back and we all go together, one of these days, it will happen. And it's worth thinking through. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 3. We're talking about what's a memorial? How are we going to be known? He says, um, you yourselves are our letter. Let me back up to verse 1. Are we beginning to command ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? 
You yourselves are our letter. You're written on our hearts. You're known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink or on stones, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Everyone that participated Saturday morning wrote on the heart of that young girl something. There was a moment of legacy for every person that participated. On the heart, not on a stone. We didn't put any stones out in the parking lot. That wouldn't, that wouldn't kind of work in our culture. But on the heart, when you look into the face of your child or your grandchild today or soon, you should be thinking, what's written on their heart? What has God taken out of my life and now, like, like cutting out cookies, pressed into their heart? Because this is the process of being remembered and remembered well. Psalm 145, verse 4 is in your notes. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty works. They will tell of your mighty works. You say, well, I just got a little family. We're here in Orange County. We're doing the best we can. My husband and I are, are, are honoring God in our home. We're not perfect, but we're doing the best we can. That's all that God could ask for. And as things come across your path to participate in, to be a, a member of, to share with, to help with, to, to give to, pro provide it. Do it. Let me tell you about a family. And I've, I've read this very thing to my Bible study at least twice before. You can tell it's really made an impact on me. It's about Jonathan and Sarah Edwards' family. You know Jonathan Edwards? Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Okay, a Puritan preacher in our, in our American history. An amazing man. Go look up his, his testimony. Read, read some of his stuff. It's amazing. But Jonathan Edwards uh, became a preacher. He and his young bride uh, took a very small congregation to begin with. And during the years that followed, he wrote sermons and prayers and books. And he was totally influenced by the American Great Awakening. They produced 11 children. They grew up into adulthood. Sarah was a full partner in her husband's ministry. He sought her advice regarding sermons. She helped him with church matters. They spent time together praying and thinking. And when their children were old enough, the kids were included in all those discussions. Now, here's the thing. The effects of the Edwards life have been far-reaching. But the most measurable of the faithfulness of God's call is found in their descendants. The descendants from Sarah and Jonathan Edwards. A guy did a big research thing on their genealogy, and, and here are the, the accomplishments of some 1,400 Edwards descendants that he could find. Out of those 1,400, 100 lawyers and a dean of the law school was found, 80 holders of public office, 66 doctors and a dean of a medical school, 65 professors of colleges and universities, 30 judges, 13 college presidents, Three mayors, three governors, three, state senator, three, three United States senators, one controller of the U.S. Treasury, one vice president. Out of one family of 11 kids whose husband and wife were devoted to each other and to the Lord and left a legacy. This is an amazing thing. Would you like to be in the Edwards family or David Livingston's brother, John? So let me talk about some steps. 
What are some steps that you and I can take to develop a godly heritage and leave behind a spiritual legacy? The very, very first step, I mentioned this uh, a week or two ago. I'm going to mention it again because I think it's so important. You need to determine what you believe. What do you believe? Take a piece of paper, start at the top and say, I believe, colon. And then write down what you believe. I believe there's a trinity. I believe that Jesus Christ came and died for my sin. I believe that it covered it entirely. I believe the Bible is true. I believe, I believe, I believe. And if you can put scripture next to it, so much the better. You write out your own personal family, personal or family mission statement. This is what we're here for. We are not here to live in South County and buy a bigger house when the market falls. We are not here to build a business. Not a problem with building a business. We're not here to do half the things all those people rushing up the freeway are committed to. Yes, we need work. Yes, we need to live in a house. But those are byproducts. What we need is a focus on our mission. What is our mission? When Sarah gathered those 11 kids around to talk to, 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 with Daddy about what his message was going to be or a book he was writing, she was gathering them into a, a greater purpose. It was, it was more, more focused on things that matter and things that last. It's intentional stuff that makes a difference. What do you want to be known for? If today was your funeral or, or, or uh, memorial service and I was asked to speak at it, what am I going to say? And I can't call in anybody's name or look anybody in the face. Uh, she's, she's a nice, nice lady. Um, uh, she, uh, she bought a couple of things at the auction. Seemed to have a good time that night. Um, she was a room mom. Uh, she made cupcakes for the soccer team. All of which are good things. But it has to be for a purpose. For a grander theme than just being the best bow maker that gave me that job when Brianna started soccer. Oh, man. That will not be part of my legacy, I'm just telling you. I cheated. I found a lady that did it better, and I had her do them for me. Anyway, so what is important to you? What really matters? Look at Psalm 112. Look at Psalm 112. You're in 119. Go back just a couple of pages. Psalm 112. And uh, looking at verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord and who find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Blessed are those who fear the Lord and whose children then get it. So no problem with making cupcakes for the soccer team. Please do. They need all the support they can get. But when you have opportunity, remind your kids why you do that. When you participate in an auction for some nonprofit, remind your husband what that money is going for, what the value is of, of, of what they're doing. Make it intentional. What is important to you? And then go do that. 
Don't just get washed along in a South County lifestyle. Our, our lifestyle's getting eroded here a little bit. I don't know if you noticed. I, I can't go where I want to go to eat. I can't go on a trip. I better focus on the things that really matter. So determine what you believe. That's step number one in leaving a spiritual legacy. Step number two is start practicing what you preach. If you say you believe that church is important, then get yourself up and go. Well, we're watching on TV. Good, but maybe not good enough, depending on the scenario. But it's just so much easier in my pajamas. Okay. So let's put that down on what we believe. We believe in gathering together as a church as long as we can do it in my bedroom in my pajamas. You see my point? You're not nodding your head, so I'm irritating you. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 9 says this. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Your kids are going to mimic you. Your values are becoming their values. Your, your priorities are becoming their priorities. Now, not exactly, but to a large extent. What matters to you matters to them. Now, they grow up and make some own, their own choices, all of which is important, but, but there is an impression that's being made. We have to practice what we believe. And here's the easiest way to do it. Take your calendar and your checkbook. So having done the first step, which is you've written out all these things that you say you believe, now take your checkbook and your calendar and lay them beside that list. Do they match? If, you know, I hate that American Express sends me this little notification. This month you spend, you know, 87% on travel. Because I highly value it. Well, you can do that little study yourself. Take your checkbook. What did you spend money on? What, what mattered to your family? What did you spend your time on? Take a look. Where, where, where are your commitments? What, what, whose life are you investing in? Practice what you believe. Be intentional about it. Sit down the Sunday night before the week gets away from you and say, I say I believe in godly fellowship and encouraging people along in their walk. Where is the time that I'm investing in that process? Well, I'm, I'm having a coffee with her and we're going to talk to such and such and I've invited them to the house and we're going to sit on the porch and discuss so and so. Great. But practice what you believe. And the third step then sit down and reflect on it. So what is your attitude on life? What are, you, what, are your, what are your attitudes? What values really matter to you that you want to pass on to family and friends? And are you living for a purpose that's bigger than you? If it's all about you, when you're gone, it's gone. But if it's all about him, it lasts for eternity. So let me make some practical suggestions. And somebody nod your head because you're looking way too serious out there at me. Number one, you need to focus on doing good. Doing good, especially right now. Everybody's bummed. At the very least, we're bummed. And there's a whole lot of people further down that line. And some of these folks need help. 
I, I'm not making fun now. Some of those folks with depression and discouragement, they're, they're seriously getting to a place where we need to step in, get them out of their house, get them to some help, you know, be there for them. But, but down that line, at least over here, we're bummed. Okay, so, so what are we going to do with our bumness? Are we going to sit around and whine about it? Or are we going to figure out how to do some good? When we focus on doing good, we're building a legacy. In Matthew chapter 9, it talks about Jesus uh, seeing a multitude around him. And this is what the Bible says. He saw the multitudes and he felt compassion. Drive by an apartment building on your way home. And, and for once, don't just drive by it. Ask yourself, I wonder who lives in there. I wonder if one of them is a waitress at a restaurant that closed and she's got two little kids and she can't feed them. How do I find her? How do I help her? This is the time to do good. You and I have so much. Everyone within the sound of my voice has so much. Even if you're hanging on by your fingernail. We can help. Do good. Share your blessings. Be a generous giver. I've given you this verse not too long ago, Luke chapter 6, verse 30. It says, give to everyone who asks you. Drive around a little while today. Somebody will ask you. Go to the bank and pick up some 10s or 20s and put them in your glove box. And with anticipation, can't wait to find the first person with a cardboard sign. Do good. Be a generous giver. Take your time to mentor somebody. That young girl that we helped on, on Saturday needs a circle of people around her. She's off on a great start, but she needs three people. And the organization we're working with sets up a spiritual mentor, a financial mentor, and just a buddy that she can call and talk to every week. You could get involved in that. You want to be one of those phone calls? Find somebody to mentor, a young gal at work, a young guy at work. Saturday mornings, I'm on the phone, 9.30, with this college kid in San Diego. Hey, bud, how was your week? Yeah, on the side, we're going through the book of Revelation, but trust me, it has nothing to do with the value of the call. Nothing. He's a kid that's isolated, and I know it, and I don't want him to be isolated. Find somebody to mentor. Find somebody to give to. Figure out an organization that needs food. You know, if you have that idea, I think it's hilarious. In the last two weeks, since I fell onto this verse in Luke 6.30, I cannot tell you how many times stuff's passed my, my purview of people who need stuff. Right now, in my car, sitting right out here, is a bunch of specialty flour that the Navajo Indians need. I have a friend who sent out a list, and they couldn't find this flour. I found the flour. It's in my car. There's also 10 boxes of shoebox stuff. For, for, for these Navajo kids. I brought a bunch of puzzles in today. I've done them all. I love them. And now they're for families that are around in, in my purview that are stuck at home over the holidays and they need to do a puzzle. By the way, I have a couple extra if somebody needs one. It's just a fascinating thing to me. How, many stuff, how much stuff is passing my face? And I, I don't say that to honor my car. I, I say that to say, I promise you, if you have that mindset, you'll have opportunities to do good. Secondly, focus on interpersonal relationships. You can pursue your passion, 
but do it in the context of people. If you're the best quilter in the world, great. Gather four or five ladies in your house once a week and preach the gospel. Share, encourage, support. Take that sweet little deer that's hiding out in her house. She comes to your house to quilt for a little while, and now you know about her needs, and you can meet them. Take what is passionate to you. Some of us have platforms where we see a lot of people. Some of us have pretty small platforms. Not that many people pass your, pass your purview. But there's somebody that lives left of you and somebody that lives right of you. And there are a lot of people between where you go and where you go home who have needs. Take that passion that you have and turn it into something that's useful. Invest your life the Bible says in 2 Timothy, in faithful men who will turn around and invest it in other faithful men. Back to the gal that we were, at, we were at her house on Saturday. If that kid makes it, if she keeps going, do you not think she has a platform from which to speak? I came to Jesus. He changed my whole trajectory of my life and my daughter's life. And we stand here today as, as monuments of God's faithfulness. You don't think she's going to have an audience? God built her a little platform. Now maybe we just need to pray that she stays up on it. So we're going to focus on doing good and we're going to focus on interpersonal relationships. Who do you know? Sit here right now just for a minute and think, is there somebody I personally know that has a need that I can meet? You got somebody? I'm not going to keep talking until you get somebody. I believe in this. You want to leave a legacy? Get involved with people's lives. It's messy. There's a verse in Proverbs that says that, that it's, it's meant for leaders. And it talks essentially about how, how difficult it is dealing with people. And if you don't want to have those difficulties, you have a pen without animals in it. As soon as you put animals in the pen, it's messy. And it is. As soon as you reach out, it's messy. It's inconvenient. It's going to conflict with something you're wanting to do. It's going to cost you something. Time, energy, your family, something. But focus on interpersonal relationships. I want to go on. Focus on some hard stuff. So I want to get practical here. If you are, uh, and everyone meets disqualification, I know who all of you are, everyone within the sound of my voice must have a will, some sort of a financial trust, if that's appropriate, and arrangements made for their younger children. If you're driving around and you do not have plans for your kids, formalized plans. Hey, if something happens to me and my husband, tag, you're it. Don't go to bed tonight without it. If you don't have a will, call somebody today and get it done. Or go online. They got templates online. You can do it online. You say, well, what's the big deal? The big deal is whatever resources you do have, and they might be modicum, they might be a little bit. Do you want some court choosing where it goes? Or do you want to invest it? I think that this is hard. No husband and wife in their 30s wants to talk about who's going to care for the kids if we happen to not be here. That is not a pleasant conversation. But it needs to be done. Talking about resources, financial resources, certainly, but not just that. 
I have a pastor friend who has two daughters, and they don't get along. They never have, not since I knew them when they were young teenagers. And one day he called me up and he said, Sherry, I want you to be the executor of my estate. I said, all right, I'll do that for you, preacher. He said, yeah, but you have to handle the girls. Great. So I said, send me the listing of all your stuff. He sent me the listing of stuff, all her, the mom's jewelry. I said, no, 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 no. This is not going to happen. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to sit down and next to each one of these items, you're going to put one of their names. The hard stuff you're going to do. Susie gets this one. Janie gets this one. Susie gets this one. Janie gets this one. Now, I'll make sure Susie doesn't grab Janie's, but you do the hard work. I don't care if you're 31. I don't care if you're 28 or, or much older like me. Make some provisions. Do the hard stuff. Number four, consider financial support for the next generation and for ministries of the next generation. Yes, Proverbs 13, verse number 22. Let's look at that one. Proverbs 13, verse 22, talks about leaving an inheritance for our kids. And usually when we talk about legacies, that's what people think about. They think about the money part. Proverbs 13, verse 22. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. So the point being is that a good person thinks about it. And it's not just, I leave it to my kids. Well, maybe that's not a good idea. Let's say you have tremendous resources. And, and your kids have not quite got it together yet. So you're going to leave your kid a million bucks, and he's a 21-year-old who can't even brush his teeth regularly? Might not be a great idea. And don't kick it on down the road to let somebody else deal with it. Maybe a more appropriate thing is to say, all right, what are, what are the needs going to be? Okay, let's do this. Let's, let's make provision for them to have a, a down payment on a condo, which, which will get them off on a, on a good footing. And then they can earn their money and keep going. Great. Put it in writing. Get it down. Is there a nonprofit that you'd like to see be blessed by something that's part of your resources now? Write it down. Get it aligned with what you believe. Back to that first thing. Get it on a piece of paper. Make those decisions now. Now, I want to talk lastly, as we're, we're getting finished today, to talk about what I'm going to call memorial stones. So we don't do stones. I already told you we don't, we don't do, do physical stones. But here are some stones that you could leave as part of your spiritual legacy. First off, I'm going to call them legacy letters. Have you written letters to your kids? I, I have. I've got Brianna's letters in my, in my drawer where all the important papers are. And there's a tag at the top that says, Brianna, start here. And in that first folder is the letter. And I've, you know, I've lit, written out on a piece of paper, here's all the, health, the insurance information, here's the accounts, here's the this, here's the that, here's the those, here's the them. All in one little piece of paper. But her letter is in that front, in that front part. And I've changed that letter out because when she was little, it was a, a certain kind of letter. And then when she was in her teens, I was writing with my gritted teeth. And now I don't have to grit my teeth so much, so I wrote one a few years ago. I wish I'd have kept them all. That was the mistake I made. I just replaced them. Don't do that. Keep them. But write your kids. Write your husband. Write the people you love a letter. Record your voice. 
You got a stinking phone. Sit it up this afternoon on a little video. Here's Brianna texting me right now. Sorry, sweetie, you can't talk to you. Sit, sit with your phone and say, hey, I just wanted to take this time to tell you I love you. Let me tell you why I love you. There, there are two things about you that I, I am just crazy about. And don't say their hair or their shoes or that cool outfit they wear. Talk about their character. And then, and then record it. You don't have to send it. M keep it in your, in your file. And then on your letter, you write on the bottom, hey, on my laptop, in the downloads, look at such and such. And there's, there's you loving on them from afar. So legacy letters, legacy videos, your Bible, especially if you write in your Bible. And if you don't start, start writing in your Bible. You know, write, write notes of what, what, oh man, I came to understand this today. I came to understand that. This was such a blessing. Put a little date by it. Make sure that that Bible goes to someone that will admire, not admire, appreciate that, that, that volume. Pictures that were your favorite. Now, you know what happens when someone passes away. Everybody goes into the house. And they go through all the pictures. We've got to do the little slideshow. But, but what would be better is if you have done it ahead of time. Not necessarily the slideshow, although I picked on a few that I like. But at any rate, pick out the ones you like and write a note on them. I love this day. Right before here, da, da, da. do you remember just before this, the da, da, da happened? And put them in an envelope. My favorite moments with you. But you've written on the back, why? You've made them, you've made them remember that moment. Even if it's during a, a tough time. This was a tough time in our relationship. And I spent hours praying for you. It was my privilege to ask God to bless you. So, pictures. Um, fa family uh, recipes. I saw this the other day. I loved it. It was on TV. I think it was in a commercial. But they took a, a platter. And you know how you can write on things and then they put them in the oven things and they, what is that called? Yes, it's a kiln, but what do they call that little process? Firing and glazing. That's the two words. Thank you. If you take a big platter, take your favorite recipe or your kid's favorite recipe or your husband's favorite recipe, and you write it with one of those pins on the platter and then have them fire it or glaze it or whatever they do, and there's their Christmas present. Every time they pull that platter out, there's mom's famous something another which just evokes love and reminds them of the, the times that you made it because you cared for them. I already talked about recording your voice. Here's a last one. Write out your family history. Sit down with your typewriter and just start. I was born, I did that for my dad. I set my dad, I gave him a recorder, one of these. And I said, Dad, I just want you to sit in your lazy chair, and every afternoon I want you to start in the beginning and walk through your life. I don't care how long it takes. I, don't have, I gave him a bunch of those little tapes. I don't care what. Just tell me everything. I took the tapes down to a stenographer, and I had them type it all out. Once we had it typed out, I put it in a little notebook, and I sent it to all the grandkids. They now have my daddy's story. Well, I haven't done it in my story. You could do that. Look, here's what I'm saying. Your life matters. And it matters to the generations 
that are going to come after us. Whether your own children or people in a ministry that you've affected or people that live near you or people in the church that you've been worshiping right next to for many years. These are people that God has put in the sphere of your influence and who you are matters. Ongoing. Let's live for our legacy. Let's let it keep going and not be consumed with just today. Let me pray. Lord, you told Joshua and the men of Israel to grab some stones so that when their children ask, what do these mean, they had an answer. We've talked about a bunch of stuff that we can do that in our own lives. Help us this week to think it through. And perhaps over Thanksgiving vacation to take some steps forward to ensure that we have a spiritual legacy. You are the center of it. It is only Jesus that matters. But you've given us a life, and we have to live it. We want to live it in a way that reflects you. Help us to do that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if I had...